Uh, welcome everybody to episode 12 of the Brothers in Arms podcast. Uh, we group of us together today including Jamie Allen, uh, Kieran Woods and today we're joined by Sanjeev Kohli uh, who needs no introduction. So don't give me one then. <laughs> Let them well, guess. Let them guess. Over you go. <laughs> okay, I'll explain. Right, I played the Beedon Still game in Asian River City and also I played Margaret Thatcher in The Crown. So I'm that guy. I'm that guy. <laughs> that one. That one. Some um, makeup, that. Hey, it's the voice, though. Yeah, <laughs> the lady's not for turning. You need makeup when you can do a thatcher like that. <laughs> there we go. We've started off, and uh, I'm, I'm already lost. I'm already getting lost. But uh, I, yeah, listen. Thanks for coming on. Um, you've been very vocal uh and you've been very public with your ups and downs and that gives massive strength to to lots and lots and lots of people who um who have their own their own struggles uh we'll probably get to that but um you know we, we maybe we'll start from start from the start and uh and your your early years and i don't know when what you know what what you were like at school how you did at school that sort of stuff and what it was like for you well, I mean, as a kid, uh, I, I was always a bit of an outsider. So when we, so my, my folks basically, um, they moved from India to London in 66, where I was born four years later in 1970. Mm -hmm. uh, and we only moved to Glasgow when I was three, when my, my dad got a teaching job in Bishop Briggs. So arrive in, in Glasgow in Bishop Briggs and we're the only Asian family on the street. Because Bishop Briggs is very kind of Spam Valley, very aspirational quite ah, yeah absolutely that kind of place you know it was it was the 70s in scotland there weren't that many brown folk about that's just the way it was so we were the only asian family in the street for a start i've got a bloody english accent which i hate <laughs> and there's still vestiges of it so if i say things like word or bird it's very anglified uh-huh so i mean I'd, i spent my childhood saying a single ticket to bishop briggs please delivery <laughs> they're so embarrassed of this poncy english accent yeah yeah uh, uh and i wore glasses you know uh -huh. and you know yeah I'm rocking some funky glasses today, as you are as well. But Thank they you. weren't funky in the 70s. It was Nash's or nothing. It was NHS glasses or nothing. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, and then, um, for reasons best known to them, my mum and dad sent me to fee-paying Catholic school. Like two buses is, away. Yeah. So St. Aloysius. <laughs> so um, back in those days, uh, they only took people in from primary four. Uh, and it was an old boys' school. But the point was, was then suddenly I've got this green uniform and I'm walking back through who used to be my pals who are now totally robbering me because they think I think I'm too good for them. Oh, I'm like, man. guys, I didn't, this wasn't my decision. Aye. So there was all these, yeah. all these ways where I was just a wee bit like a, you know, uh, a square peg in a round hole. And what's good about that is it's good for comedy because if you have an outsider's perspective, you're just one degree to the left or right, you can see things that maybe people take for granted. Like Billy Connolly talks about that. Aye. He's just seeing things we all see. Or Michael mm. McIntyre's the same, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just seen things we all see, but he's got that slightly outsider's eye perspective on it. So I always had that. Um, I was equally, I was incredibly shy. So yeah. um, I used to love watching comedy and I loved my music, but I was I was very studious. I was that straight A's guy. Uh -huh. Very much a good fit for St. Al's actually. I mean, I was that guy and I did think I wanted to be a doctor from quite an early age because I mean, this is the problem with the, the school system in Scotland is, you know, back in our day, it was, I mean, I sat O grades. I guess you guys did standard grades, intermediate twos. Intermediate twos, right? So the yeah. So the point was was that it was third year when you picked your subjects. So you what, thirteen, fourteen? Yeah. You, you don't you know your favorite 
you have a crisps, do you, at that age? <laughs> right, yeah. And you, you're having to project forward to what you might want to do for a living. Yeah. So everyone's sort of panicking, what do I want to do? And I sort of said, well, if I say I want to be a doctor, number one, mum and dad will be chuffed because they're obsessed with doctors. Uh, and number two, I don't have to worry. I know exactly what subjects I'll do. And, and I was good at all the subjects. I knew I would, you know what I mean? I didn't have any pals, but I knew I'd get good grades. Uh -huh. Yeah. So from an early age, I thought, right, I want to be a doctor, fine. And then I didn't think about it until I actually got to medical school. And I thought, I don't want to be a doctor. And, that, <laughs> and that's not great timing. Um, so yeah, very, very quiet, very studious, uh, very down on myself, very diffident. Yeah. I, I didn't like who I was. I didn't think I had anything to say for myself. Aye. And I always wonder whether maybe I was wired like that from an early age because I had a very, you know, I had a perfectly good upbringing. My mom and dad worked their asses off to give us a really good education. I had a very costly upbringing in Bishop Briggs, you know, um, I had brothers who looked after me, but I just, I was never really, I was never really happy with who I was and I never, never made friends easily because I didn't think I had anything to say for myself. Aye. And that was me until the age of, a bit, until I got to university really when I was 18, 19, I thought, wait a minute, people are actually listening to what I've got to say. And it wasn't until then wow. that I really thought I was yeah. kind of yeah. worth anything. So I, a very different creature. I mean, people don't believe uh -huh. that I, yeah. was, I, I could be like that. But then you speak to a lot of people, that performers <clears throat> and Someone explained it to me. They said a lot of stand-ups actually are, are very shy. And the reason they do stand-up, I mean, I don't do stand-up, I do a sort of version of it. Uh -huh. But the reason that they do stand-up is, is that they can control the narrative. So yeah. they, you know, they, they're controlling what's happening. Uh -huh. Whereas if they walk into a room of strangers, they can't control it and they, they the shutters come down mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. don't, you know, they can't communicate, yeah. which is a very, very strange dynamic. But yeah. I think it's actually quite honest because I think, what we all do, we've talked about this before, is that everybody, especially people, anybody who suffers from any form of mental health problem, they've all got faces for it. Oh God. You know, I was in the police for 30 years and I had a face for one thing and a face for my colleagues mm -hmm. and a face for home. So when yeah. you're doing that as a stand-up, you know, you take on board the character or the persona of who that person is. Yeah. And that happens, seems to happen time and time again. And I mean, a lot of times it's just pragmatic. It's like, yeah. you know, you you know, as a, as a cop, you know, my brother's a cop. You can't walk, you, you walk into certain situations. You can't show fear. You can't, you know, you no. just have to front up and become that guy for that situation. Absolutely. And yeah. it can't be great for your mental health when you're not mentally no. in that place and you're having no. to pretend to be someone else. Absolutely. It's really interesting. And I, I think, you know, the classic example of that is Robin Williams. Yeah. You know, Robin Williams, everybody saw as this guy who was, just Mr. Happy, Mr. Funny, Mr. On Top of Everything. Turns out the guy's a manic depressive, yep. you know? Yeah. So it's I also saw Robin Williams, he was like, you know, in the Bugs Bunny or in the Roadrunner when they run over the cliff mm -hmm. and they keep the legs going. Mm -hmm. That was him, I think. Yeah. I think he had to keep that energy up because he didn't want to look down. No. Uh, Stephen Fry's the same. Stephen Fry's an absolute hero of mine. There's no one cleverer in the world or wittier. I wish I had a tenth of his brain power, you know, when I look at his career, the stuff he's done. Bit of Fry Laurie's one of my favorite comedy shows of all time. And there's a guy who suffers from, yeah. you know, he actually thinks, you know, he, he left a play because he didn't think he was good enough. I said, if Stephen Fry's not good enough, who's good enough? So he sort of takes solace from that. And and that's, I guess, the reason why I went public with, with my mental health issues because I thought people probably see me and think, oh, he's in the most popular Scottish sitcom of all time and he plays a really well loved character. You know, and I've, I've been lucky to get all that love. You know, I've, I've had it from, Five-year-olds to ninety-year-olds, uh, any walk of life, any gender, they just seem to really love that character. And I, I guess I just want to say to people, look, I, it might seem like I've got a great life, uh, and and I'm doing okay, and I'm going to this 
you know, premiere on that supermarket opening. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm, I'm switching on those Christmas lights. Yeah. But actually, I can have shite days. I can have shite months. I can have shite years, you know? Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I, I, the thing was is that I didn't even... I was, I was a bit of a coward about it because, I mean, the, the whole reason I actually did it at all was a friend of mine, lovely guy called Mark Pacitti that went to St. Al's as well, actually. He was in my year at school. Lovely, lovely guy. Mm, that's your and, man. Yeah. And he'd got in touch. He... he um, he's based in Australia now and he, he had, had actually started it as a blog, I think called Dancing with the Black Dog. And then uh, he turned it into an actual but proper charity with merch and all the rest of it. And he said, look, I've got um, I've got people here that are kind of like my, my um, ambassadors. Ray Mare, who was Alf and Home and Away, was his Australian rep. Yeah, great <laughs> right? guy. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, and he said, would you fancy being a Scottish rep? I said, mate, I'm happy to be your Scottish Alf. I'll, <laughs> I'll be that guy in Scotland for you. But I didn't even tell the whole thing was it was dancing with the black dog. It's okay to say you're not okay. That was the kind of the, the 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 the, the slogan he used. And I didn't even tell Mark that I suffered, you know. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm actually saying to people it's okay to say you're not okay, and I'm not saying I'm not okay. Uh-huh. So I thought I'm being a hypocrite here. So yeah. I said, do you know what? I just need to. And, and do you know what? I, I I did worry that if I went public with it, that would that would I become a liability? Yeah. Would there be producers out there or casting out there saying, well, we like him, but he's a bit flaky. Aye. I've had nothing but support, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And I do get the impression that, you know, with things like this, the, what you guys are doing, which is great, uh, that there's, there's definitely a groundswell. There definitely seems to be uh, a movement to equate mental health with physical health. You know, you might not see a sticky. It doesn't mean someone's not well. Uh-huh. You know, um, I think that that kind of, that tanker is turning. Um, yeah. And I, like I say, I've not had one, you know, I was expecting someone to come back at me on Twitter saying, oh, dry your eyes. You know, you've got, you know, I've seen the car you drive, I've seen, you know, the house you live in or whatever. No one's actually done that. Yeah. You know, I think we've all, and it's like you say as well, mm-hmm. where people can go through whole careers and they probably didn't even know they were fronting up until they mm-hmm. actually looked yeah. back and thought, you know. No, I, I, I think you're entirely right in, in, in what you're saying. And I think it's even more difficult for, for somebody who does the sort of work you do it's a bit like, I think John Cleese said something about it, you know, he said that people expect you to be yeah. funny all the time yeah. and expect you to, you know, the, you know, they meet you walking your, I see you walking your wee dog, you know, so they meet you walking your, your dog or something and they shout something like, mm. hi Navid or how's it going? Yeah. And you walk past them because you're having a bad day and they're yeah, like yeah. That grumpy bastard oh, totally totally you know and, 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 and it's completely unrealistic because they can't separate you know the human yeah. being from mm. from a character, and 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 don't realize, you know how people suffer. So, I mean, I think what Gary's saying is entirely right. It's so important, not only for people like yourself, but guys like us who come up and talk about, you know, suffering from mental health issues. For me, it's really interesting to rest to listen to what you said about, you know, that you you had a good family upbringing. You didn't have any issues. Your parents were very good. You you lived within a stable, kind, mm. loving family. So that's one thing, classic thing, yeah. out of the road. I'm interested, something you said there about your friend, I had done my research, as always I do, <laughs> uh, and dancing with the black dog, this guy, Mark Pacitti, um, and him asking you, you don't think that maybe he saw something in you from when you were at school and... Because sometimes people don't want to say things to you when you're younger because mm-hmm. they don't want to add to your issues. 
Well, I, I, see, I don't know how I was perceived at school because I remember meeting someone, it wasn't Mark, it was someone else. And he said, oh, we, we all knew you were going to do well because you were really driven. You know, you seemed really like you knew what you wanted to do. I'd kidded myself, you know, that mm. I wanted to do, be a doctor and all that. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I think I must have, and because I was do, doing well in my exams, and I was actually, I, I wasn't like, I probably didn't come off as an outsider at school because I did play football. Um, I mean, that was one of the big bugbears about the school. I don't know about you, but they didn't have a football team. Yeah, We all played football at break, and there wasn't a football team. It was a stupid middle-class yeah, thing right. of mm. middle-class people don't play football. Mm. So I, <laughs> I had to play rugby, which I hated because I, I couldn't wear, you know, I didn't have, I'm, I'm really, really blind without my glasses. And can, can you have a guess, uh, look at my body shape, what position I, I played <laughs> in rugby? <laughs> I wouldn't know. Forward. I never played myself. So prop forward. Prop forward. I wouldn't even know what that is. I mean, right, well, I look, I, I, it's Props are we squat yeah. muscly guys, uh, yeah, this big yeah, lanky yeah. thing mm -hmm. blowing in the wind, and so I probably had problems ever since. Mm. Um, so, uh, but but thing was, I did. I was vaguely sporty, and I was, you know, I wasn't. It wasn't like I was unpopular, but so I probably, I, I possibly didn't actually project, mm -hmm. you know. But I mean, but you don't have I, an unhappy time. Or I yeah. know, well, no. I know, it wasn't. I, I just didn't like myself. I, I I used to remember going to bed at night thinking that. Uh, I found you know I found it hard to talk to people. I used to I was the boy that ran upstairs when guests came around. So I just felt I had nothing to say to them. And yeah, um, but I, I probably did manage to pre present our face at school that like you talked about. So I, I don't I don't know if Mark. I think what Mark knew I had a profile in Scotland. Right. Okay. Fair and I, I don't think he knew. I mean, I, 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 should, I should ask him if he maybe saw something early doors, because because I, I didn't spot it in Mark. Mark was a lovely, happy. Well, seemed to be smiling, mm. happy guy. Yeah. school so you know he probably thought the same about me well i, I think which, that, which obviously speaks to what you're talking about yeah, which I, th is I, the I think on. it's classic because you know when you, you know people uh know now i'm involved in this and I, i've i've done a, i did a podcast and here with another guy and told my sort of life story and we've discussed it in here as well and uh you know unlike yourself i didn't have a a, a relationship with, especially not with my father he was very down on me mm -hmm. you know so I think um, it's really interesting, you know, when you hear somebody else saying, you know, how their life's different, yeah. but how people have this idea of how they should be or how they were. And then when they hear me on these podcasts uh, or they hear that I'm involved with a group like this, they go to me, what are you involved with them for? Yeah. Is there something wrong with you? Or, you know, or, 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 <laughs> but it, or they it, make a joke, they try to make a joke yeah. about it because they're awkward. Well, that's the you default know? setting for a Western Scotland male, isn't it? To you know, sarcasm or humour uh -huh. seems to be the only way you can express any kind of affection. Hopefully, I mean, I really do hope we are turning that tide, but I guess um, from maybe Kieran and I's generational point of view, um, it's definitely come up in, in the podcast that because of our sort of backgrounds and our upbringings, you know, we joke about it in here, um, that we almost feel in some way that we are less deserving of saying, Sometimes I'm up and down a wee bit and sometimes I need a bit of help just yeah. because you've had a certain upbringing, you went to a certain school, whatever. You're, you're not, you're by no means, you know, you know that, that's just such a nonsense story that we tell ourselves in our head. And, oh, completely. Um, we, we, you know, we use to put up barriers. Uh, and so it's interesting to, you know, hear that point coming out again. With our generation, I think it is, it is changing more now. See, with, 
what if it's social media or if it's um i think just awareness is, is definitely i think in, in times to come with the generations it will get better and better in terms of people being able to speak more about it because of movements like like this like others you know what i mean there's there's yeah. there's stuff out there that's making differences yeah what's also changed is just generationally as parents so i've got three kids now and I'm way more in tune with what's, or try to be in tune with what's going on with them inside their heads uh -huh. than my parents ever were. My parents never had the luxury of even giving it a second thought. What we thought, uh -huh. my mum was working a shop 12 hours a day. Uh -huh. My dad was 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 doing supply teaching, uh -huh. working their arses off to give us an education. I think they thought that was enough. Yeah. And God bless them, it, you know, it, you know, yeah. I didn't want to give them the impression that I was down yeah. on myself because there'd be another thing for them to worry about. Uh -huh. Whereas I guess our generation are having fewer kids as well. I mean, I'm quite unusual yeah. and I've got three kids. That seems uh, to be unusual now. Yeah. It seems to be one or two now. So you've got more time to devote to your kids and you're certainly more, as parents, this generation are definitely more in touch with how they're feeling. Like it, this, is very, this is very interesting, actually. Um, I was chatting to a guy, uh, a neighbor of mine, um, Ashok. So he, um, he sent his kids like he could have sent his kids private and he didn't he sent them to the school where i sent my kids to actually Highland. and uh it's, he said that he would get together with the, he'd meet people at dinner parties or whatever or functions and they would say uh oh, what's your what's your kid doing or oh, my kids my kids got to glasgow he's doing this my kids got to Clyde, my good you know. it was always about what they were doing uh -huh. and he said she what are your kids doing and he'd say they're happy yeah, 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 yeah. They're happy, and he said it never occurred to him to ask. Uh -huh. It was also about what they're doing, uh, what uni are they at, what they're studying. And it's always that measuring thing, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> and 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 yeah, we definitely, you know, that's that's a great point in terms of getting connected with your kids, you yeah. know, and and it absolutely, um, yeah, it's just chucking the yardstick. Isn't it? You yeah. know, I mean, like, you know, obviously, you're, you're my trainer, so we talk about like our kids, and you you spend so much proper quality time with your kids in a way that maybe our parents didn't have the luxury to. Yeah, uh, it, there's definitely a change in that, and Jamie's talked about it before. You know, with 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 his, you know, the requirements for his job, which were you know long hours at times, and you know, yeah, the, um, yeah. you know, Jamie's story that he told before about when. His wife brought the kids down to the office and said, "By the way, that's your dad over there." As if you know, <laughs> and and so that actually happened. But so because of that, we are now aware, you know. But there's also that point of where, as well, of you know, I think Jamie, you kind of made made a, a decision to not do what your dad did no, to you. No, I, and I've spoken obviously right. enough on the podcast about. And the fact that I've really not had any any meaningful relationship with my yeah. my dad when I was younger and none absolutely zero now. Um, so in my mind, I'm very much well. I will do it differently yeah. to the example that was. Well, set. it's quite funny. I, I play football on a Monday night at Fur Hill. It's a nine o'clock game, <coughs> and the reason that it's so late is is that when that game started, it was all these young dads that wanted to actually feed and bathe the kids yep. before they went out and played football. Yep. And they actually had that consideration, which maybe the previous generation wouldn't have given. I think it's, I think it's a great thing the way things have progressed to where they are now. But as Gary said, you know, I was driven by the fact of how my childhood was. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying it was dire all the time; it wasn't. But to be able then to 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 say to yourself, well, when I have kids, yeah. that's never going to happen. They're not going to want for anything 
and especially they're not going to want for love and yep. affection, which yeah. everything else you can take out of the road. Because as it, you it, say, yeah. some of these people you're talking about, right, might be very highly aspirational people and may have achieved a lot of what they wanted to achieve, but are they happy? Well, I see, I think, my, so my sister-in-law does a lot of therapy for it and it's, it's aimed at the Asian community in London. Okay. Now, I've said this to her and she's agreed with me. She said, there's going to be a real time bomb of mental health with, with Asian men and women my age mm -hmm. because we were the generation. So our parents came over and they, they, did, they, did, they did the hard yards to give us the education. To, yep. So we go into the aspirational careers, the sort of places that wishes would, you know, you know, encourage like mm. be engineering, accountancy, medicine, law, yeah. right? So the kind of being sometimes forced, sometimes gently pushed into these areas without a second thought about the happiness and they're waking up at 45, 46 thing, I'm doing a job I hate. Mm -hmm. Because why? Because it was aspirational, because it made a community happy. And I think we're a generation of people pleasers as well. Yes. So that, that you know, that that's it. it's about pleasing, not just your mom and your dad, but the community. It's about, you know, I've heard that often. What what am I going to tell the people at the temple? You know that you chucked in, blah 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 blah. Yeah, I was going to say I wondered if it if, it, if it's interesting you say that because I've heard a number of of things recently, and I, I watched a program. I don't know if you saw it, but the the, the Sikh walking group. Oh yeah, yeah, I didn't and see that it. And that was really, really. Oh, it's worth watching, mm. you know. And 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 that was one of the things you know that, that they talked about about this whole idea of, you know what other people thought, and, mm. you know, if, if, if this guy said, if I said to people, um, I think it was one of the older guys that was involved with it. And he said, you know, if I say to people, you know, that I'm not feeling right or whatever, you know, they're going to look at me and go, what's wrong with you? You know, yeah. and, you know, I, I, do, I think that's throughout all society, but this guy was very said, you know, in, in, within his community, it would, it would be seen as being... It's almost more of a goldfish bowl. It's like, you know, we're all members of communities, aren't we? Yeah. And, and for me, it was growing up in a, in a Sikh community and it's quite small in Glasgow and you did feel like you were under the microscope. It meant if you did even anything slightly different. I always remember when I used to go down to London because we've all got relatives in London, usually in Hounslow and Southall, massive Sikh community. And even if my hair was looking slightly different, I knew I was being judged. <laughs> or what Sanjay do is, what, what, what trainers is he wearing now? What's that he's doing? What he's not doing medicine anymore? Why would he chuck medicine? Mm. And you know, thankfully, my parents actually they could see how unhappy I was when I did the course, and they were, I think they were just worried that I didn't really have a proper plan B. I mean, I've sort of fallen into what I do, and don't mm -hmm. get me wrong, I love it, and I think I'm good at it, but there was no game plan. Yeah. I, you know, I couldn't show my mom and dad a business plan. So by <laughs> the year, by the year 1998, I'll be there, da 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 da, da. and you know the. <clears throat> There is an element of guilt that they work their asses off to pay for your education. There is, of course there is. And I did get things out of going to Aloysius that maybe weren't what I expected. I actually think I got my education watching the two Ronnies and the young ones and Kenny Everett rather than, you know, Latin. I say that though. Did you do Latin? Yes. I actually think every kid should be taught Latin. I think mm. actually it's it's good for, it, 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 gives you, it gives you structure and it helps you understand English as well and it's, it's good for communication. Mm. But then um, yeah. uh, your face just felt like a safe. When was the last time it helped me in life? But uh, I, to be honest, I could say that about any of the subjects. I don't think I've used any. I don't think I use any of them. I, maths, yeah. I suppose. But, uh, but even that, even a school like that is quite a pressure cooker, isn't it? It's all about. Oh, of course it is. The, is it aspirations and, and and what your parents are projected onto you? And of course it is. Of course it is. And like just I kind of could 
understand there what you're talking about with the guilt of them paying for. I play poker. Well, that's what that's what I do for. If I was, if they were to know that when they decided how much money they were going to spend on my education, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's it, when I think obviously the parents always hope as you're going to be that lawyer, doctor, and, and I remember even like when I when I told my dad at first that. That's what I was going to be doing. And I mean, he was just like, no, you're fucking not. It's <laughs> uh, just straight up, no, you're fucking not. It's, um, but I mean, it's, you just don't need to follow that. So, uh, that I guess really the don't. expectations are just just higher because it's, it's so normal to become these things. Yeah. You know, it's so normal to go to the top universities. It's yeah. so normal to... And so when someone breaks off of that and branches out of it, it's like, hey... Get back in line, you know, mm. don't step out, you know. But I suppose it you know, that goes for 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 everything, doesn't yeah, it? it does. If it you're does. a wee bat, you know, I just um that that um that new book um by the guy Graham, it's called The Young Team. Graham Armstrong. Uh-huh. Which I which I've just and, started. You know, and, and and he talks about exactly what we were just talking about just now, like all the boys were like, what the fuck are you up to going to uni? Yeah, I'd have to get back to, you know, get over here, you yeah. know? So it, it's, you know, that's always happening in life. Mm. And, to, you know, and it's right to have the confidence to just do it and step out. You know, it, it, it's, it's interesting because I'd like to, you know, just chat more about that whole transition period of going right well, it probably isn't an academic career for me and mm. where you started to lead into um, TV and, and, and comedy and, well, I mean, the headline for my career is someone thought I'd be good at something. So I had, um, uh, I switched to do a maths degree because I like maths and I'm good at maths. Don't judge me. Um, and so I got my maths degree and then I thought I'm not ready for the real world yet. And because I got a, a good degree, I got funding to do a postgrad, a PhD in maths. Again, please don't judge me. <laughs> in, in London. And I, again, I thought, nah. This isn't for me. So I came back to Glasgow and I sort of travelled for a bit and signed on and watched Neighbours twice a day um, <laughs> for about four months. And then I always remember, um, I don't know if this is the exact sequence of events, but if I was ever to do the, the film of my life, this would be how it would look on film. Was that, So this is pre-internet. So I sort of thought, do you know what? You've got a maths degree. Time to knuckle down and actually get some direction now. So I'm 23, 24 at this point. Um, still living at home and all the rest of it. Um, uh, and uh, so I thought, okay, right, mastery, good degree to have. It seems to be quite well respected. It's, you know, like, generally speaking, it's like law. People think, okay, you must have an ordered mind. So, you know, you can go a bit lateral with your uh-huh. career choices. So I went to the careers library at Glasgow Uni, and I just picked up a bunch of forms, and there's things like accountancy, logistics, and all this actuary and all this stuff. Nothing I wanted to do. And I just picked up this pile of forms. I remember putting it on the on my on my desk in my bedroom. I just put it. I stared at it for an hour, thinking, "Your future's in that fucking pile." <laughs> I just I was so down. And then, like I say, in 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 the film of my life, it would have been that night that I got the phone call that changed my life, which was a friend of mine, Uzma Uzma Mir, who I'd known from university. She knew my brothers as well. And she was kind of one that got away. She was like from a Pakistani family, but she'd got in the media. She got onto this BBC production trainee scheme, which my brother actually also got onto. So she, we're chatting away, and she said, "What are you up to?" I said, "I couldn't be up to less. I honestly couldn't be up to less. I'm doing nothing." And she said, well, "Okay, well, do you, I'm producing this new uh, kind of magazine 
show for the uh, multicultural magazine show for Radio Scotland. I'm casting around for new talent. I want I want to find someone new, and I thought of you. So I thought, yeah, great, why not? And so uh, I got the job, and then suddenly I'm presenting this radio show, and it feels really natural. And it wasn't even a comedy thing; it was like an actual magazine show aimed at the ethnic communities in Scotland. So in that first show, I hosted a one plus three discussion about the situation in the former Yugoslavia, <laughs> genuinely with a, with a Bosnian refugee who'd end up in Glasgow and this other guy from an embassy. And then I interviewed some uh, some Bollywood actor and then some, some Bhangra star. But I felt, you know, I was always quite good at, because I'm quite empathetic, I was a good listener, but also I could, I knew the right questions to ask. Yeah. And, just being, I was very kind of accidentally media literate, having watched loads of telly and listened to loads of radio. So I suddenly found out this, this, this feels like a good fit. I kind of thought I'd be maybe journalistic, you know? I did a great, in fact, I, my first radio feature was about, so this was 93, so this is when like Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg were emerging. Gangster rap was a thing. Uh-huh. And I noticed there was, there was a lot of, eight, lot of boys in the South Side, a lot of Asian boys, right? <laughs> and the Shields were getting out in a gangster rap, right? <laughs> And I thought this was fascinating. So, um, I, I, and, and they're all, all working their dad's shops and cash and carries, right? But they think they're pure gangsters, yeah. <laughs> Going down Albert Drive, jeans hanging down their arse. And I thought this was fascinating. So I did this really pompous uh, thing called, this isn't South Central LA, this is the South Side of Glasgow. And I did the, and, and, and interviewed all these boys. <clears throat> the thing is, like, I don't like what the white guys like. I like what the black guys like, right? That's how I like Snoop Dogg. And so I thought, I quite enjoyed kind of, it's, it's quite dangerous because I drove my wee Vauxhall Astra really naively, right, to Albert Drive and I had my wee recording equipment. I didn't uh-huh. ask, hadn't asked anyone. Uh-huh. There was this 25-a-side football game going on in Albert Drive Primary School. So I just wandered in with my glasses and like, who here likes gangster rap? And I, I got all these Vox Pops, you know, of all these people. Wow. And, but I sensed that they were taking the piss out of me. I just sensed an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so I got into my car and the back window exploded. Someone had shot a rubber bullet through the back of my car Shit. because they just thought it would teach this arsehole a lesson. <laughs> Thinks you can wander in Albert Drive. Yeah. And wow. of course I thought, I'm Asian, I'll be all right. But you know, yeah. I was clearly like, uh, not all right. So um, I remember thinking, I felt like Kate Aidy or some war reporter. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe, maybe journalism is the way for me. But what ended up happening was, was that I would write my own links for the show because no one was listening to the show. So just to amuse myself and the two people in the booth, I'd write funny links and mm-hmm. I was getting laughs and then this got noticed and that led to kind of comedy writing. Yeah. Um, and and I, so I produced the first series of Chewing the Fat, um, if you can remember that, when it was still on the radio. Because by that point I knew, that's right, I, that's what happened. So I had got a reputation as being a presenter who was funny. So then off the ball, the football uh-huh. Uh, Scott that show started in no no, it was, no. It, well it's now Tam Cowan and Stuart Cosgrove right. oh yeah 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 but back in it, it started in ninety four and I auditioned to present the show and I didn't get the gig Greg Hempel uh-huh. I don't know what happened to him he sort of disappeared into obscurity <laughs> apparently he lives under a bridge now but uh, Greg Hempel he was um he he got the gig to present it but they asked me if I would be a regular guest on it uh so that was good fun and then it became a sketch show so then they said look. Um, it's going to be Stuart and Tam now, but do you fancy writing sketches? And I'd never written a sketch in my life, but I'd watched millions. Uh-huh. So I kind of learned just watching things like Monty Python and yeah. a bit of Fry and Laurie and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Kenny Everett. So, so suddenly I'm writing ske- football sketches. 
I, I, the one I'm proudest of was, so this was in 94, so this was when Celtic, who are my team, weren't doing particularly well. Tommy Burns was the manager. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, it was right about the time of Phil O'Donnell and, uh, uh, and um, Simon Donnelly. And who was, it, was, it was a really good young squad of players. And um, I, I wrote a parody of a boy's own song. It was called Boy's Own. Huh? And it was just basically uh, the you know a, a parody of that, and, and it went down really well. So, and then I also was writing for Goodness Gracious Me, the Asian sketch show. Oh, that was great! That and the show. reason that, the reason I got involved with that was was, as I say, I was sort of being vaguely journalistic, and Radio Five Five Live at the time um, were punting this thing called the race season, you know, race issues, and I'd heard about this burgeoning Asian stand-up uh, scene down south. So I, really, I wanted to do a thing about this. Uh, and they said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You can you can produce that. Uh, and um, I found out they're making this Asian sketch show. So I, I phoned the producer. I said, look, I'm doing a thing about Asian stand-up. I know sketch show isn't stand-up, but it's Asian comedy. It's all the things I want to talk about. Because I'm obsessed with that. I think that there's so much humor, in, especially in Punjabi households. There's so much humor in immigrant households. It's all that aspirational thing. It's like... Uh, mm-hmm private number plates and glass swans and cream carpets. It's, it's almost like, I think it's like Jewish humor, but you know, I always say it's like Jewish humor, but replace a chicken soup with dal and you've got Asian humor. It's all the same areas, you know? Yeah. Your cousin's doing so well and, you know, hmm. um, uh, going for an English, which is the, you know, the, Ah, that was, yeah. I, I remember, I'm, I was, yeah. can't remember funniest. what age I was, I, I remember it, really enjoying that yeah. Goodness Such Gracious a... Me show. Well, funnily enough, I, so I'd started going out. So my wife Fiona, we, you know, we've been married twenty-one years, but we'd started going out not long after "Goodness Gracious Me" was on the telly. Cause it'd been a Radio Four show originally, and I was one of the writing team. And um, I, I'd invited her around for dinner, so we'd only been out three, four months. And uh, I said, "Oh, do you mind if we watch this show? Because I've, I've written some stuff for it." But I didn't know if they'd used any of it. I just send my stuff off. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But they could use none of it or all of it or some of it. You don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And she felt she said she felt really under pressure to laugh because I didn't tell her which sketches I'd written. <laughs> As it turned out, the very first sketch that went out on the telly was mine. Yeah. It was about a guy called Jonathan. Is is it? It was one of these jokes you can only do on a show like Good Creatures of Me. It's about a white guy called Jonathan going to work in a deli office and they can't pronounce his name. And they keep getting it wrong. Right. And this is the stuff that's happened to me. I've been called Stanley. I've been I've been called Stanley Macaulay. I've been called all kinds. Right. So I was just using that that reversal gag. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the kind of punchline is 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 that well, if you're going to insist on being called Jonathan, Jonathan, whatever, I mean, you're going to be a troublemaker. You know, just why don't you just give yourself a you know give yourself an Indian name and then uh-huh. <laughs> and that was that's kind of you know that's you know, happened that's, that's happened totally, to me obliquely. Know. I mean, so, I think it even still happens now. Does it, I hear well, old my, my, people sometimes just going, I'm just going to call you Jimmy. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that, what? <laughs> no, well, I, actually, I, I that. So, so two, two things. First of all, my brother Raj, who's the cop, so he was before, he only recently left the Met because he, he's joined the Hampshire Police. He was the highest ranking turban seeker in the Met okay. when he was there. He's built like a brick shithouse. He's mm-hmm. five foot ten and, he, and, he, and you know, he works out and he's got a beard and a turban. And his name's Randy, but everyone calls him Raj. It's been his nickname since he was a kid. And there was one duty sergeant couldn't cope with the one syllable that was Raj and called him Reg. Now, <laughs> if I asked you to call so, draw someone called Reg, you would not draw a five foot ten <laughs> Sikh brick shithouse, would you? Reg Hollis. From the <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe wow. that was it. Maybe could, that was it. It was too close to Reg Hollis. <laughs> 
Um, Madness. But I remember working as well. I, I, I worked at the Glasgow Garden Festival when I was 18 for four weeks at the end of it. I was one of the guys that, if, if anyone remembers the Garden Festival, it was 88. Yeah, I was there. I was one. Well, did, I was were you there. one? Well, <laughs> no, did you ever go on the wee train that went around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was one of the guys who would let you on and off the train and Fabulous. announce the train coming in. And uh, there was a, one, of the, one of the train drivers, he was a lovely, lovely guy. Permanently happy. I don't know if that was chemically enhanced or not, but a okay. really, really nice guy, right? Hey, hey, did pal, hey, did, hey, did pal, hey, pal, hey, did. What's your name? And I said, my name's Sanjeev. And then, kind of, his eyes rolled and his head for a bit. He says, "I'm going to call you Plummy." I said, "What?" He said, "Hi, Sanjeev, Sani, Sani, Sanju, Sanju, Plimsoll, Plimsoll, Pl Plummy. All the best." And he walked off. <laughs> I thought good, good on him. He, he, gave, he gave it some, he gave it an effort, you know. He's followed some. He's he's followed, he wasn't lazy with it. He wasn't lazy with it. He, he yeah, actually yeah, gave yeah. it some thought. So wow. Plimmy, never took off. I think you know the the conversations that we've had um, about you now. You're now getting to a point where you can recognize when you're doing well and you're you're doing fine, mm. and then you you you're kind of starting to get to recognize your own. As we talk about it together, uh, you're kind of like roller coaster. Just sometimes when you're going down, and yeah. you know the things that are happening, and um, and and what you kind of just need to do to let that be. And uh, I I think it would be really powerful for people to hear a wee bit about just recognizing it, and sometimes just letting yourself be a bit down for a week or whatever without yeah. having it without it having to be like a real crisis. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think what tends to happen is, like, I'll feel, because I'm generally quite kind of pessimistic person anyway, I'll have, a, if it's a day or two, I'll think, okay, right, maybe you're just having, you know, a wee moment to yourself. It becomes a week, then I start to worry. Huh. And actually, if, if it gets into a week, it tends to become a bigger thing at that point. Yeah. And then I have to sort of think, okay, right. I mean, what I've done is I, um, when it first in my mind, it's my my first kind of episode was when I was probably seventeen. I remember I I was doing I was at Langside College for a year, so I'd left St Al's fifth year, uh, and I got my place in medical school, but I was too young, so I had to kill a year. So what I should have done was travel the world. What I did was I went to Langside College to do fucking A levels because I'm that guy, right? Same, wow. same, same, I know, same, I know, I know. <laughs> I should learn how to play poker. That's what I should have done. Um, and uh, I, I was really down on myself. I, I just remember that Christmas. I, I didn't want to get out of my bed all Christmas. So that must have been my first sort of depression, proper like proper like incident or episode. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't recognize it as that at the time. I just recognized it as me being me, but more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the next one would happen when I started my medical degree, and I hated it, and I and and, and then I was staring into the abyss like. What the fuck have you done with the last eighteen years of your life? Mm. So that was the next one, and that maybe lasted. Such a thing for a young person, though, isn't it? To think that you know that that you know, or if, if I'm not where I need to be by the time I'm eighteen, oh, then horrible. that's it. My life's over. Those markers, those you know? markers, yeah, um, yeah. And we we've definitely touched on that over over the podcast. But that, I mean, that's all to do with being present in the moment, isn't it? And what's that brilliant expression? Don't borrow worry from the future, mm. which is a fantastic expression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, that, and that's the other telltale sign actually is, is I, I lose weight. Yeah. Because I love my food. 
I mean, I really, really love my food. That's why I need to come to you. Of course, always why it's an interesting conversation. Otherwise, I'd have to cook a cream from a funeral. The amount of food I eat, the amount of pastries I consume and croissants. Mm. And and when I start losing my appetite, Uh I know something's going on. And that happened, you know, whenever I'm really, really slim, uh, I, I know. People say to me like, "Oh, you're doing a great job with sandwiches at the moment," and I'm like, "Yeah, but maybe Aye. a couple more pounds on would actually be better." <laughs> no, no, it, it's, you know? it, but it, it's um, all that, that whole body dysmorphia thing because I remember we were we were rehearsing for the so my last big incident was year no no second last one was we were actually rehearsing for the last still game live. And I remember thinking, I, I was really, remember. really down. Yeah. I'd just come off doing fags, mags, and bags at the end of the festival. And I was going into doing still game live. I was at the top of my game uh-huh. professionally. Yeah, yeah. But I was really, really down. Yeah. Uh, and what t- I, I know what the trigger was for that. I I basically, like, it was a tax thing. Uh-huh. And I owed lots of money. And uh-huh. it came from nowhere. Yeah. And that just sent me into a spiral. Yeah, yeah. I remember us talking about it. Because exactly. that's, that's the way it can happen. There can be a trigger. And it doesn't matter what the trigger is, but it just sends you into that same place, that same dark place. Yeah. So, but so I'm I'm rehearsing for Still Game Live, thinking, God, I wish I could enjoy this more. Mm-hmm. I was monosyllabic. Yeah. By that point, though, thankfully, you know, Jay Gab Mitchell's been public about uh-huh. his struggle. Yeah, I yeah, tell Gav, Gav, absolutely. Yeah. And I've got good friends there that could say, "Look, guys, you're not going to get anything from me today." Aye, yeah. Because I remember you saying, like, I think there was a period um, when it was uh, some River City filming, and I remember I was talking about, and you were saying, like, people are trying to come up and talk to me, and I'm just like, I just, just. I just don't want to be Aye. in that space. And like, I feel like people think I'm being rude, but actually, yeah. you know. There's also that thing just, you were saying that you know, if, you, if you're known as someone that's funny or witty and then you're not being funny and, and witty, you, can't yeah, be, you become more self-conscious it. about that. And then, yeah. then you go more into yourself because you're feeling self-conscious about it. It's like a negative feedback cycle thing. But again, you know, this is so great for people to hear because they'll be, it'll be like, you know, it's like they get to recognize, oh, that's kind of what I feel like, or that's kind of, that kind of happens for me. And, I think that feeling of not of knowing that you're not alone in those feelings yeah. is, is. But I mean, you've touched on something really important there. If as a as a society we're at a place where I can be in a room and say, "Guys, look, please don't take it personally. I'm just," yeah. and they accept that, yeah. and it isn't like, "Oh, who's rattled this cage?" Aye. If they actually accept that, you know what? Yeah, I've had days like that. He's got a day like that. Yeah, we can get to that place. That's then, true. Yeah, true you know, truly being non-judgmental. Of course, know? of course. Uh, absolutely. And again, it's that thing of, you know, I can't see the sticky. Yeah. I can't, you know, I can't uh-huh. see a cast, yeah. what, you know. But again, that's it. And, it. and it just does come back around to that whole idea of outward acceptance, but also going, well, he's on 75% of the time, but sometimes mm. he's not on, you know. I mean, Gary, Gary cool. we've had sessions where, okay. where I've been on the terminal, I've said nothing. Yeah, and I know that you know that yeah, you know it's yeah. just you, you know to give me that That's space. It. Sometimes silence is fine. But what I was actually going to say was when I was rehearsing for Still Game, I thought, well, at least I'm looking good, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was chatting to Gab Mitchell recently, and he said, "By the way, you are too skinny. Uh, you were scrawny." Uh-huh. He said, "I, I didn't. I, I was worried for you." I said, "What was I looking that bad?" I oh, know I, I was worried for you. I, I yeah. thought I thought I need to give him. I need to go to Greg's and get him. Get <laughs> yeah, him sorted. fill him up. And it made that body as a smorphy thing feeds in as well uh, into the... Yeah. Is it always the same thing? Do you always have the same sequence when you're feeling... Is it always the same warning signs in yourself? Like like you're saying, you stop eating. It's always... Yeah, yeah. It, it does tend to be the same thing. Um, when it happened, it happened four or five years ago, I got the Sainsbury's just to get some basic stuff and I totally panicked about what milk to get or something, something really basic. 
But what it, what it was was I completely lost my confidence in decision making of any kind. Yeah. Of any kind. And then that becomes a problem when you're a husband and a father. It's like, I'm a shit husband, I'm a shit father. The one thing I could always do is I could get through my work. I could go to River City and yeah, I wasn't the most talkative, but I could do the work. It was the same with Still Games, still uh -huh. same with Fags, Bags and Bags. That didn't seem to be an issue. And that was great. It meant at least I could be a provider. That I could say I was doing. But, you know, I mean, I, look, Lemmy has gone public with this. He said there are times that he, his son was there and he was looking through him. Mm -hmm. He had nothing for him. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that. I, yeah. I totally felt like that. I always Going through the motions. To I always seem to have the same kind of same things that I do in life when things aren't going well as well. Um, I can't co can't concentrate. I can't remember anything. I can never remember anything. My memory kind of goes. Um, I'll hate. I'll never go to bed at night. Like I hate to. I'll just sit on my couch and just stare blankly at the TV, not even caring what's on. Just kind of. But I'll just dread going to bed. Increase alcohol consumption. Yeah. Won't eat healthy, but it's always the same kind of. Yeah. We, we we fall on the same paths, you know, Aye. and it's really a powerful thing. I I've I've been quite inspired by seeing Sanjeev over the past few years, where you go, yeah, I can see that I'm there, and I don't. It, it doesn't need to be like crisis or whatever. I I can exist in this space, and I know it's going to pass. Mm. You know, and and that I think that the the power the power that's in that. Yeah. yeah I, I as I say, whether it it resonates with people or not but i i get to see it's that kind of riding that roller coaster knowing that you are that you will come back up and that you know you you, you do know the things that happen as you're going down and then you recognize the things that are happening as you come up again i've been in a particularly good place for actually a few months now right and i find it hard to fathom that i was in such a bad place mm -hmm. yeah. yeah but you know it happened it was it was our, our wedding anniversary, the one before last, that was at the lowest of the low, and it, that wasn't that long ago. And you think, I can't even equate that being the same person. Mm. That's that's the freaky thing. So, yeah, you're right. You, you, you have to obviously remember the good times because you know you'll get back to them. But but the last the last kind of episode I had, it was getting into month three. I thought, has it lasted this long before? Is this who I am now? Oh, and I did worry. Right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. The cloud did pass. It was just a bigger cloud, but it did yeah. it did pass. And it's yeah. it is you know you have to take comfort from the fact that it is a cloud and that it will pass. Uh, that's where we really hope that people are making the best use of the app is when they are in the downtimes where actually just occupying your mind with something that's not the stress of what you're worrying about or the reason that you are feeling a bit depressed at the time. Mm. There are there are a hundred things that you can do on the Brothers and App Brothers and Arms app. You know, breathing exercises, relaxation exercises, um, mind association games, and also the live counselling. So again, you know, it just comes back to that whole, if you recognise what we've been talking about on the podcast today as things that happen for you, then that's where inject a bit of Brothers in Arms app, the Thrive app, and uh, and and it hopefully becomes an easier job to get back on the, the upward trajectory. I, I I think it's I think the other thing that that I feel when it happens to me and my, mine's more an anxiety based thing rather than a depression. But if it goes on and on and on, and with me it, it presents itself as migraines. All right. Um. So if I get stuck in a week or two weeks of of these on off headaches or migraines, then you do begin to believe that that you're losing the plot mm -hmm. and you're never going to get out of it. But it's a bit like, I mean, I've been involved with 
yoga for a long time. I, I'm, I kind of lost uh, touching it. What you say, and you've said as well, is you lose that confidence in yourself to some extent. And I trained to be a teacher and then convinced myself that I, I just would be no use at it and never did it. Um, but from that uh, sort of vibe and, and from that tradition and also from the sort of Buddhist thing, I, I'm just reading a book uh, by a guy, Dan Harris, at the moment, who was a newscaster in America, had a famous meltdown on air, had a panic attack, uh, and and then discovered meditation, you know, and I think that's the thing, you know, it's, it's not even, if you don't do meditation, that's fine, but it's about acknowledging that thing, about, as you say, being in the moment yeah. and realising, you know, what... Uh, people describe as that blue sky thinking, mm. you know, that you know, you're just hitting turbulence. It's just clouds yeah. and you will pass out yeah. of it. But as you know, and as you've just said, when you're right in the middle of it, and as Kieran said, you can't see a way out of it. You know, and that's it's why... It's interesting you use that, that flight metaphor, because I've always used that. It's like when you're, when you when, before you hit your flight path, it is as wobbly. I, but you do know it's going to come to an end. Uh, but having said that, the most disastrous flight I ever was on on China, China Airlines, it was eight hours of that. So you don't. That's that's what you don't want. Eight hours of clear air turbulence. But you're right. It's it's having the confidence to know. Then the confidence is the first thing to go. That's so. Then what you're looking for is, I think you're looking for empathy, and that's what you get from the app. It's like you know, there's other guys out there. They might not be going through it now, but they have been, and uh, you just have to remember that you know the person you were before. Thanks for joining us, folks. Thanks, Sanjeev, for coming in and chatting to us and being really open yeah, and honest. Really, We've maybe really not had time. somebody just as open and honest about their own uh, sort of mental health journey. So that's 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 huge for us um, and, and huge for probably the people that will be listening as well. Um, so thanks very much. And, um, yeah, catch you all on the next podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks Thank to you. See you all.